If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Today, we have two special guests. This is, I think, the first time in EIP history that we have uh, a actual married couple. I'm assuming you're married. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's get to that uh, when I introduce this. So we have Gabe and uh, Nicole Mendoza of Forefront Ventures. Welcome. I'm happy doing? to be here. You're right. You're absolutely right. It happened. Married. Not related by any other means. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I, I think you're the first. I, we've had couples, I, I think, on, on the show, but I don't think we had an actual married couple. I, maybe, but I don't think we did. So you guys are, are the first. You're pioneers in the, more of the ways to, than one. Here we go for you. So we've been told. All right. So <laughs> let, let's start. I, I like to get a, a um, background of, uh, of, you know, sort of uh, where people grew up and, and about their childhood and, and stuff. So uh, I'm going to go with Nicole because I, I used to be married and I'm divorced now. So I always know you defer to the female. I learned over the years. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll defer to uh, Nicole. Where, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up on the South side of Chicago. Okay. Uh, do you want to know more? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll go into that. Yes. So, uh, I'd like to know more Southside Chicago, uh, you know, family, parents together, siblings, like what was your childhood like? So I had a great childhood. I am one of five. Um, my father had from his previous marriage, first marriage had two boys 
And then I was my mother's oldest and my mother and my father are still together and they had two boys after me. So I'm sandwiched right in between four boys. I loved every minute of it. I still think of myself as the oldest sibling, even though I have two older brothers, because I'm, you know, the emotionally more mature one. I hope <laughs> yeah. that they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Um, I probably agree. I think. Yeah, I think they would. Um, my brothers were all way ahead of me in terms of their interest in cannabis. I'll just say that, you know, I, I sort of just like stayed on the fringes and they were all like into it when we were kids. And I didn't really think too positively of that. Um, but my, uh, growing up, I was definitely always the more athletic one too. I would say I brought athleticism to the family. My mother ran four marathons, Chicago marathons. And so that was the extent of her moving and shaking her body. And I sort of followed her footsteps, was a varsity basketball, soccer, volleyball player. Movement was a big deal to me. I uh, eventually majored in kinesiology uh, to you know study human movement, was really deep into um, accessing like somatic um, therapeutic uh, knowledge, you know, so that eventually led me into yoga. So from college years back in like the early 2000s, I uh, was deep into hot yoga. Um, my mom actually owned a gym. She quit her job. She worked for General Motors and while I was in high school and she asked me to get certified at 16 to teach aerobics. And I remember being so pissed about it because I was like, it's not cool. You know, like Tybo, Billy Blanks was big at the time. Yep. And I just didn't want to do it. But my mom wanted like support for the family business. Yeah. So she's like, don't worry if you're not 18. They're not gonna, yeah. they're not gonna check your ID. Just go in there and take the test. Show them you can do it. So I did it. She got my dad to do it. So like all of us were certified to teach aerobics and we all work for my mom's nonprofit called Dream to Reality Fitness. And she taught like financial literacy to like immigrant moms and all kinds of stuff. So I did that as a high school job after practice. I would show up with like my muddy cleats or whatever soggy clothes because of sweat. And then I would change into my spandex and teach a class in Spanish, which I didn't even speak Spanish, but (laughs) I taught enough (laughs) Spanish to, you know, I could count in Spanish. I could say inhale, exhale, reach different things. And I've learned a ton more Spanish since then. But at 16, you know, you don't want to do anything that your mom asked you to do, much less speak Spanish, teach aerobics to a bunch of moms who think you're cuter than you actually feel at 16. That's a little bit about how I I definitely want to, I definitely want to dive a little bit deeper in Southside Chicago, just, uh, you know, how it was the environment and what it was like growing up there. But I want to switch to Gabe for a second, ask him uh, the same question. We'll, we'll dive back. But before I do that, just, just to go back, Nicole, did you, did you have to wear the, the leotard when you're teaching aerobics, like uh, Olivia Newton-John type of uh, leotard? Was that, was that the outfit back in the day? You know, uh, I, it wasn't a mandatory uniform, right? My mom was lenient on that aspect, but I, uh, I thought it was the way that my <laughs> class would respect me, you know, if I was like wearing the getup. Yeah. So yeah, I borrowed plenty of my mom's leotards. And to this day, you know, I don't even remember what it was like not wanting to wear them because That's I'm true. a 10 year yoga instructor. Now I-, I wear them, you know, no big deal. But at the time it was like, I was, a uh, Trying to play the part. Yeah, yeah, you get it. <laughs> the full, full body suit. The gay, where, where did you grow up? 
I grew up in the city too. It was the northwest side of the city. Um, and so I lived there my, with my parents. I have an older brother and uh, he's eight years older than me. And so it was all of us in this house. I went to high school at a, at a high school in the city. And it's so funny because I, I'm hearing Nicole's story and I'm thinking, man, I was kind of like that for my first two years of high school, you know, into the sports. I played basketball. I played football. I ran track. And then I started to party a little, a little too much and I started to sell weed. I started, I really, I, I, I wasn't even smoking at the time. I just knew that this was an economic engine. And I went to a pretty prestigious high school and in eighth grade, my teacher sat me down and was like, look, you're probably not going to get in, into this school. So I want you to be prepped. First of all, what an asshole. Second of all, <laughs> I crushed the test and I got in, um, but I got in with a bunch of rich kids. Yeah. The thing is, he only applied to one school. What? So if he didn't get into this school. Full confidence, just all, all the way. <laughs> Full confidence. Oh, yeah. And so I, um, after my first two years, I really started to focus in on a different realm. And that really had to do, I mean, I remember I used to weigh I didn't have a scale. I would weigh it in chemistry class and put it in Lipton tea bags and sell it at full price. You know, all we knew was weed was twenty dollars a gram. If it was shitty, if it wasn't shitty, I don't know. So I was selling this terrible brick weed at twenty dollars a gram. And I remember there's one kid and he for sure smoked. And he's like, "Is this good stuff?" And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Never came back to me. <laughs> well, like, like seeds and stems, or or. Yes. Oh, yes. oh yeah. I mean, I remember getting overcharged for the ounce. It was like 125 bucks. Um, but I mean the margin on that when you're selling it at $20 a gram, it was great. And so uh I went to school, I went to school for, for in high school, and then I went to, to Indiana University for four years and did some more, you know, some more selling. Nothing major weight. Um, it wasn't until I really got out of high school. And at that point, Illinois was just legalizing, or out of college, excuse me, Illinois was just legalizing that I started to think, okay, well, there's something to this medicinally. And then once I really started to look into that, it changed my entire viewpoint on, on the plant and how this could be really used as a medicine and transform people's lives, sure, economically, but really from a health and wellness standpoint. And when you really start to study uh, the neurological pathways that this that this plant touches, it is fascinating. And so... Um, I really got into cannabis right after college and did not look back. And I was fortunate enough to apply for and win a license and, and kind of the rest is history. And I'm sure we'll talk on that. But but yeah, I was a Chicago born and bred. And uh, and and then I, I met Nicole here in, in a little bit later than that. And we, we kind of had a, a journey, which is an amazing journey. I can't wait to share it with you. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I definitely want to dive into that. I, so both of you being athletes and I and you started you know, mentioned your experience with the, with cannabis, uh, as well. And, and I don't know, you, I, I think, uh, Gabe, you say you weren't really consuming. Uh, I don't know if, uh, Nicole was, but being athletes, did, did you hear like, because there's two sort of different types of athletes. So there's the athletes, like drugs are bad. You can't take drugs. Cannabis is a drug. It's the same thing as heroin, cocaine. You can't take that. Or there's other athletes like, you know what? It's helping me recover faster. It's helping me, you know, get my mind right beforehand. Did you fall into either one of those categories? Uh, either one can take it out of <laughs> Well, no, I didn't consume at all in high school, straight edge. Like I didn't even drink until like the very end. Um, and, but I did have friends who 
mostly all male athletes, they did partake, you know? So that helped alleviate some of my negative connotation, like the football players, the basketball players, wrestlers tended to not, track and field tended to not. I mean, I was in with the jocks, right? Like they were all my friends since grammar school. So I knew almost every type of athlete in my school. Also, because I played like four sports, I played as many sports as I could. So I, you know, always made friends with the counterpart. Soccer players didn't really kind of smoke. I guess like when I look back, but football players, it's an aerobic sport. Basketball players, aerobic sport. They still tended to smoke. Never did I hear that it was a pregame. Always it was like postgame. And we were young. I I can't remember them saying, oh, this is um, helping me physically rehabilitate, but definitely mentally. But again, like being on the South side of Chicago, most of the kids I grew up with also had like adverse external experiences that they were dealing with, you know, like at home, maybe it was like an economic struggle or like broken home or what have you, like almost everyone I knew had a story. And so oftentimes when my friends who were also athletes were partaking, it was like just to chill, you know, just to like chill out. And like, in that sense, there was self-care, you know, there was like knowledge of that. Yeah, I um at first no, but once you started, you know, once I started to, to really sell weed, uh I had friends who consumed weed and um and they were athletic. And you know, where where a lot of my friends grew up was the south side of Chicago, you know, it was it was like the Hyde Park area. And uh it was, you know, getting weed back then was so kind of like <laughs> like edgy you know you had to go oh yeah i remember you know and they had different terms you know saw bucks and nitty bags and and nitty bags just a guy <laughs> named nitty who sold those bags at the, exactly. you know? so it was it was definitely a something that that the, the athletes that i knew consumed but the overall majority no and, and you know both of us are latinos and so growing up in a latino household it's like this is the devil's lettuce right oh yeah that was biggest concerns right going into this industry when i fully dived in um after college and and was really applying for these licenses i was like what's my grandma gonna think you know what are my parents gonna think and just like you know if you have someone who loves you they're gonna listen you know and so after a while the barriers break down well in my case in In your case case, yeah because my parents ended up calling the cops on me and kicking me out of the house for weed. So, but now the right. irony is they both consume formulations that a you know, company makes. So they, it took a long time, but you know, initially they, they did not listen. Yeah. And it's a good, I think then when, when I was dipping my toe, a lot of pioneers before me had made such major headways. I mean, this was in 2014 when it was starting to be legalized in Illinois when I really started to do this professionally, at least, you know, from a, from a legal standpoint. And so by then there was enough evidence where my dad's a lawyer, he's a lawyer for the EPA. So like he likes to read things. And so once you started to give him actual science, it was hard to turn back from that. I think that's the key is, is being able to, there's so much, one of my biggest pet peeves is like, there's not enough research. Uh, Have you looked? There is a mm-hmm. tremendous amount. Yes, it's not the clinical trial research that, you know, the FDA, but there's reasons why we don't have right. uh, a lot of that. But being being open to having that conversation with somebody who can dig in the, into the science makes a lot of sense. And I, similar trajectory, uh, Gabe, like I, I've paid my way 
through college, you know, selling weed uh, as well, working at Tower Records, which was a great place to be able to get. Uh, for those of young people who don't know, it used to be a record store, like this, uh, you know, the records behind me, they're this everybody knows what records are now but you see a record store it was the greatest record store i was i was a music buyer by the music for for the store and uh you know, people would smell weed on you like some weed i'm like yeah you know where i can get some i'm like yeah page me we have beepers i'm old <laughs> so back in the day you have to use a pay phone like is what is that but uh, yeah that's uh, I, can, I can definitely relate to that but in my story one of the things that I talked about getting kicked out, I met these kids uh, at this music festival that were representing the Cannabis Action Network, and they were trying to get people, you know, to legalize. So uh, I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network, and I want to talk to both of you because you actually mm-hmm. have a a trajectory, a path that's similar with uh, also a, as activists. Uh, how did that come about? And maybe you can kind of expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So when we, uh, when I started to get into cannabis back in 2014, and I was fortunate enough, I applied for we, me and a group of just it was local people. I mean, we put a put a couple of bucks together and applied for these licenses, um, and we won. We won a dispensary license and a cultivation license in Illinois, which you know, fast forward today, oh my gosh, how valuable that that was. But when we started to, and it was majority minority, like the company was a majority minority and we didn't realize how big that was because it, you know, we, we hadn't talked to cannabis, hadn't really grabbed onto, um, giving licenses to social equity applicants at that time. It wasn't even talked about, but, but we were. And so when we started to look and do this outreach in communities of color, like either no one would come show up or it would be, you know, they would have no real idea as to what was going on or people would show up in opposition. And, um, and so we created a chapter of normal, which for your, your listeners is the national organization for reform of marijuana laws. It's was started in 1970. It's the oldest marijuana reform advocacy group in the country. And they've done um, some amazing work. Uh, to really get us to here to, to today. And so we started the local Chicago chapter with a real emphasis on educating and motivating communities of color to use the cannabis plant as a medicinal, economic, health and uh, social wellness, anything, a tool, right? And to educate folks. And so that gained a lot of traction because like I said, there was nobody doing that at that time, really, at least that we knew. And so uh, we were able to really gain a lot of legitimacy as uh, the cannabis expanded. And as we were doing this advocacy work, helping people get, get expungement training. I mean, one of the first sources of revenue for that, that, uh, that not our nonprofit was just training folks on how to be in the industry. And Nicole came along and helped. I remember our first training class. I was so nervous because, you know, I'm, I'm fresh out of college and we had opened a dispensary and I'm teaching, you know, grown adults about the endocannabinoid system about dispensary operations. And it's like, you know, I've been in this for a, a second, right? And so I remember Nicole coming, and this is a very fond memory because this is when we were just dating, coming, giving me like food to get myself ready because she knew I hadn't, I hadn't eaten anything. I was just so nervous. And that became a really, that, that helped fund a lot of the, the outreach that we did for, for many years. And so um, 
we know, especially when you start to really dig into what cannabis is, right? And, and how it is, is a medicine and what it does for your body and how it interacts with your body. Um, it became something that was a real responsibility for us to take seriously and to share with as many people as possible. And uh, I, I, do you want to talk about when we, you know, how we went to DC and we, we actually won chapter well, of the year. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. Like we went, we went out to DC, a few members of the board. And at that point, I remember being on the phone, not being on the phone, being in the front seat as Gabe was behind the wheel of his car, joining these meetings with these people on the other line talking about, we got to, we got to create a nonprofit. We got to found, you know, our own chapter of normal. And then fast forward two months later, we're still hanging out in the car together. So, you know, I joined the board. I ended up getting an invite to join the board. A few months after that, there's a trip to DC. We take the trip to DC. We're down there with like all the na- like national normal chapters. Yeah, they're like, you really need to go. Because they didn't tell, they're just like, we really think that you we guys should come. You guys should and at come. that point, we were living in Baltimore. So, so we was- just, yeah, it was easy for us to go, you know, financially. Because at the time, we really weren't. I mean, just took a train. Weren't really making a ton of money, not through cannabis. So we're like, okay, fine. We can go because we don't have to pay for a flight from Chicago to D.C. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're there. There's a big celebration. Everyone from Chicago Normal is outside smoking weed, right? Because, like, that's what we do. We're outside. And then, like, someone from, like, National Normal is like, what are you guys doing? You got to get inside. You're winning an award right now. We're like, what? We won chapter of the year. We had to go and, up and, and accept our award. They announced it as we were all outside smoking a joint. It's proper. Keep holding the award, just waiting for us. And we're just like, hey, everybody. <laughs> and Keith, sure, what he went to University of Illinois, or he was like, he, somehow, oh, I would, yeah, yeah I, I graduated from the University of Illinois. So we had that in common, the alma mater. So I got to meet him before the award exchange because we did like the full day panel thing. Got to meet Paul Armento and the whole, the whole gang. It was, it was Justin Streakle. Streakle. That's the one I couldn't remember. But he's great. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was meaningful because, you know, to get recognition to, for doing something uh, that, that you really put your heart and soul into was great. I mean, and, and we were able to leverage that and help create the law in Illinois for adult use and have a say. I remember when I was looking at the law because they gave us an early draft. I mean, we actually were helping in the early stages. We still do. Even to now, if you go to like a regular meeting, the, any iteration of legislation that would be affecting the industry is broken out into sections, you know, 10 page sections. You staple it, you break out all the attendees of the meeting into groups of five to 10 people. You give them a highlighter, you choose a leader and you say, hey guys, read this section, highlight what you don't understand, make some comments and then bring it back to the group. And I just, it's not, it wasn't, back then it felt a little more daunting because it was literally just the board members, like just us doing it. But now we basically are just creating this pathway to engagement for any of the members to come in and understand and digest and critique, you know, and then we, and then we rightfully so can go back to our representatives and say, Hey, look, this is what the people are not understanding. This is what the people are wanting rephrased or revised or added on. Um, Yeah. We learned a lot. I mean, I think it's really, really important uh, to have a voice and to represent the people that have the voice when you're coming from a position of this is medicine and there's therapeutic uses of this and you're not just coming through hey 
you know, we need more licenses. We need to lower the taxes and all that stuff. I'm in California and that a lot of that conversation has shifted, you know, from where we were back in Prop 215 SB420, which is this is medicine. We have caretakers. We have people who are sick to now, like, why are you, you know, double and triple taxing us? We can't make money and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm, I have a hundred different concentrates, but I only have one one-to-one tincture in my entire dispensary. Well, what happened to the people that you originally were serving before this law became wreck? So I, I completely, uh, you know, concur with you on the, on your position of, you know, starting with education for sure and, uh, and helping people that way. So Gabe, just to go, you opened the dispensary, correct? Like you're running a dispensary. And, uh, first of all, what was that experience like? And then I didn't ask you, but how did you guys meet? So let's start with that one first, because... <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. I should go and open the dispensary first, because that that's happened first. That, that's, that's, why, that's why I was trying to line it up for you, so I didn't know how you <laughs> yeah, wanted me to... You're right. <laughs> did his homework. You're right. So <laughs> it, we, nobody knew, like, you know, well, it was what, how, to, how to run these things. And so it was... I was employee number two. I mean, it was my CEO and me. And so we win these licenses and we're like, okay, well now what? Right. And so we're trying to raise money on one hand. Right. And we're misvaluating the cut. We're like, how much is this worth? A hundred million dollars. Okay, sure. Let's try to get money on, on that valuation. And we were turning money down at like 50 million. Very, uh, that's a lesson I will remember till the day I die. But, um, so we, we get this dispensary open and where we wanted to put it was we wanted to be able to put it in communities that needed it the most. So we put our dispensary in the South side of Chicago. No one even applied for that other location or one other person did, but they didn't meet the criteria. And it was just like, yo, what the heck? And we still to this day have a massive catchment area of like miles before anyone is even near us it's in the southeast side of the city it's low socioeconomic status it's a mixed minority versus it's it's a it's black and brown and it is so vibrant like the the people that we help there it, it so we, we open this thing you get through the regular the regulations and it takes longer than you think and it costs us way more than what we ever anticipated now we're, we've we've honed it down so much but at the beginning you're paying for everyone else to learn on your dime, right? I mean, it's like, hey, these construction guys, you have to do what with the, the regulations? You have to put how many cameras in? What? 30 cameras? What are you talking about? And so we get this thing open. And in the beginning, it's medical in a low socioeconomic place. So we're getting 20, 30 people in maybe, right? Because you think you have to pay $200 to go see a doctor. You have to pay another $150 for a license. You have to get fingerprinted, which is freak people out. You have to take a passport photo. You had to wait for forever. And so it was really ground and pound education. It was getting out into like the, the local barbershops, the local like just stores and t- talking to people about what this was. And it was a beautiful time. It really was because you're seeing these people and the first early adopters are the ones that needed it the most, right? They're the ones that were really sick. And so they came in and they're pissed. Like they don't really want, some of them don't really want to be there, but they're in so much pain that they'll try anything. And you get to see their life change in front of your eyes. And especially when you only have a few, you get to know them so, so well, you know, and you get to know their lives and they bring you food and you meet their families and all this stuff. It was, it's what community should be. It really was. And so we did that for 
God, I mean, it was, we, we got our license in the beginning of 2017 and because it took so long, I mean, we, we went through three different locations because in each neighborhood, there would be a community essentially uprising against cannabis in our communities because we're doing it in a, in an area that's uh, been so like destroyed by the war on drugs, right? Generations of, of, of families have been destroyed. And so we're like, no, man, not in my backyard, right? We heard of that a lot. And, and so we finally found a space that was, was amenable to us and we, we really hit the ground running, but it took a long time, it took a long time. And so eventually uh, we start expanding and they're like, Hey, Gabe, you know, the most about dispensaries, you want to go open more dispensaries. And so right before I moved to, so then I said, yes, they wanted me to go to Baltimore and live in Baltimore. And right before then I met Nicole and my uh, my closest dispensary to where I lived was the dispensary that Nicole was working at. And Nicole's get, I purchased my first legal weed from Nicole. And I was like, <laughs> I'm married. I got, I'm married. That's what I wanted you to say, man. That's exactly yeah. the story. Yes. yes. <laughs> Cannabis and brings so, couples together. Look at that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so, you know, we, we, exchange information and she's a yoga teacher. So I started going to her yoga practice and she is an amazing, amazing teacher. And so just to be able to be like healed from that, I could barely even touch my toes at that point. I mean, I was just like so <laughs> not flexible and um, she really changed my life. And and so I, you know, I moved to, to Maryland and this was like the key part, part of our relationship. Cause I was like, do you want to move to Maryland? That's <laughs> I can't, and she, there was no guarantee of anything, right? I mean, she had a job here and, and everything here and she made that, you made the, the choice to do that. And it was, we, she eventually, she, given who she is, she impressed uh, our executive team. They offered her a job and then she, you know, the rest is history. She's been, she's been integral in the growth of this company ever since. Um, but that was a, it was a big deal for her to say yes. And then for a while, we were just living, trying to figure this out in Baltimore and like kind of not a great area. Figuring out how to survive. It was. It was I yeah. think people watch the wires, so they kind of get an idea. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of it wasn't. You know, it wasn't that. No, wild. that was two um, blocks. Like. Yeah, it was about. East yeah, or whatever. Lock and change a couple blocks. Yeah. So, so Nicole, what? What? Tell me your version of uh, you know how you saw Gabe when he, you sold him the you know whatever the eighth. I don't know what you got or uh, nope. and how how did this. Uh, how did this relationship, what did you see in him that gave you the, I guess, the impetus to say, you know what, I'm all in and I'm going to go to Baltimore like with this, this guy who's like a weed dealer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I definitely found out like all about his professional trajectory in cannabis on our first conversation too. So he... He walks in. First of all, I'd only been working there for about a month. So I had been in cannabis since 2015 and we can get into that maybe later. But my my start was in Los Angeles because I'd moved to Los Angeles in 2015. And so in 2017, I, you know, my hippie era was coming to an end. I moved back home to Chicago and um, wanted to continue in cannabis. So I oh, got wait, this. Just, just, just to interrupt for a second. I apologize. But when you went to LA, when you lived in uh, LA, it's where I'm at. Were you in a dispensary business out here? 
I was, I was. So I, I moved to LA, landed in Culver City, ended up living in like Midtown by the end of it, bounced around, you know, the center area of LA, not quite downtown, not quite West Side. Um, I worked in Anaheim, California, in, Ar- in Orange County, right off of like Lincoln Avenue. And I can't remember the other cross street at this, at this dispensary that we called the Blue House. So that was just totally to supplement my yoga income, which was like, but how did I that, mean, like, I'm because you weren't really a big cannabis consumer at the time. How, where did the attraction to cannabis come in uh, professionally? Financial stability. So I was at a phase in my uh, yoga path where I was not eating any meat not drinking. I'd been in the hospitality business for about 10 years prior to that, you know, because I wanted to be a yogi. I was forced to always pick up like odd ends to support that hobby because it's not really like a career choice, or at least it wasn't back then in my early twenties and I couldn't sustain myself. And so I didn't want to go back into serving alcohol. My partner was into cannabis and working at this dispensary. So was offered it as, as an option. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll take the lesser of the two evils because I still wasn't smoking weed, but whatever. I did it. And the majority of our customers were medical. We were a high volume dispensary. We were right across the street, almost from Disneyland. So we saw a lot of Disneyland employees, but we also saw a ton of medical patients. What year was this? 2015. Okay. 2015 and 2016. And so I remember just meeting people that like very much how Gabe said, like just wanted to tell you their story. You know, they just wanted, and and we were doing everything deli style. So I had to learn about eighths and quarters and grams. And I was like having to like open jars all day long. That's what I wonder. That's exactly what I want you, because I I had, I actually had a dispensary in Anaheim called Kush Kingdom, but it was already closed by that time. But it's, that's why I want people to visualize the old system of jars and yeah. you know scales and taking them out and putting in in containers and and you know smelling them all that stuff we don't have yeah. that anymore no. yeah and i actually loved it and for different reasons now i advocate for that mostly just to reduce packaging you know the waste of the industry but that's a different conversation totally but like i i really did love it and it was a hell of a crash course and i did that for like a year and a half we had a dab bar you know i had never dabbed in my life took my first dab at work and like i felt like all the neural circuits were like sizzling and i was like oh my god what did i that is do so funny. I, I remember my first dab experience too and i i've been consuming cannabis since i was a, a teenager but when i first did a dab hit I never felt anything like that before. I had to actually have a conversation with myself. And luckily, I don't have any genetic predispositions to like anxiety and all that stuff. Uh, but if I did, I could see where somebody would have a real a difficult time. But man, I drank a bottle of water and I kept, I'm like, it's only cannabis. It's only cannabis. It's fine. It's fine. But I had to have the conversation with myself. So I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. So that was cannabis. That's to answer your question. That's yeah. how I really got, became indoctrinated. Actually, no, I really became indoctrinated in the culture when through my job at the dispensary, I met a network of growers that were growing up in Mendocino County. And so because I was still in this like hippie era, like I like to refer to it, I ended up working five harvests in Mendocino County, Laytonville, you know, and there was where I really was like, 
I think I love this. You know, I smoke more weed than I ever did in my life working out there. I was a trimmer. So I touch more weed than I ever did in my life. You know, I was working with other cannabis enthusiasts, you know, and just like out in the woods, looking at the sunrise and the moonrise and going to swim in crystal clear streams on our days off and doing collective cooking and sharing the responsibilities. And it was just all the reasons of some of the, like for loving cannabis from some of the people that I know that are the greatest lovers of cannabis. Like I was able to like live out those values there on that farm for five harvests. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And then I needed to come on grid, you know, I needed to come back onto the grid. Collect all your cash. Yeah. I collected all my cash. And you know what? Things were getting sketchier and sketchier harvest after harvest. We could tell, you know, prices were declining. You know, you weren't making the same amount of money. I mean, I was within a network that I trusted with my growers at the time, but there were some things happening in nearby farms. So, you know, convinced me, you know, I probably shouldn't, this isn't a, a lifestyle that I want to sustain. So moved back to Chicago, got the job at the Northside Dispensary. One month in, I'm working the POS. The manager of the dispensary is actually standing right behind me. And Gabe walks in and he has this walk. Maybe one day you guys will see it yourself. And he like has this walk where he's like light on his feet. And he's like a pretty sizable guy. Like he's tall, you know, for like a Mexican Puerto Rican. It must be the Puerto Rican side, but not really because your dad is tall. But he's like very tall. So he's like walking in, like he's like walking on clouds. And I'm just like, who is this man? And granted, I was like totally focused on like not being a butt tender for the rest of my life. So like I was, this was just a, a stopgap for like my next thing. I did not think I was going to stay in cannabis. So I wasn't interested in anyone either. Not, yeah, romantically. So, then he comes okay. in and he's like, I'm the manager of a cultivation center. I'm the manager of a of a retail center. So he's like, got, gives me his business card. He starts coming to my yoga classes. The rest is history. <laughs> I gave you my business card. How funny is that? That was the first time I'd ever been on a legal dispensary because uh, yeah. mine had not yet finished being open yet. Right. So I was like on the verge of opening mine and I had just got my medical That's why he card. Was looking around like and this. I was like, in heaven. I mean, this yeah. is this is what it this is what it is. This is the the culmination of hard work. I can't wait to get to mine. And and yeah, I I saw Nicole and I was like, wow. And then I I, I came back again. And I was like, oh, it's like similar time frame. So this must be her schedule. So I came back a third time and I was like, she's going to be working. She's going to be working. <laughs> I love that. That's a beautiful story. But And you mentioned something that, that sort of reflected a visual in my head. I think we take for granted dispensaries as a whole. Because I remember when I first moved to LA, like 2009, when I went to my first dispensary, yes, they were all gray area dispensaries. but Man, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wait a second. I can go and have this and, and get in a bag and pay for it and, and have it and, and sort of legal in the store. Uh, it was just mind blowing. I remember when I had guests that would visit me from like Philly, uh, and, and, uh, to LA, I always took them to dispensaries and it, yeah. everybody's minds were blown. I'm like, and that I think we, we definitely take that for granted now. So I'm glad you, you brought that back up. Um, Let's fast forward. You're expanding. You're uh, you're you're in Baltimore. How does Forefront Ventures where where does that come in 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 the trajectory? Yeah. So, like I said, when we first started, mom, basically, I don't know if mom and pop's the right word, but we were just 
aggregate money from friends and family. We put together, you know, it was, it was a low amount. Right. And so we didn't have like financial gurus. We didn't have anyone that's like able to raise multiple millions of dollars that we really needed, especially with the growth. Right. And so we needed a partner quick. Right. And so forefront came in and, and fortunately they had the, the cash to, to bankroll us. And so we had a successful exit pretty early. I mean, they, they purchased controlling interest of the company probably 2016 or 2017, even before we, we had opened. And I, they kept me on everyone, you know, that everyone else had a successful exit, which is nice, you know, especially in cannabis looking at it now, <laughs> looking at it now. Um, and, and I stayed on. And so by the time I had moved to Baltimore, it was firmly forefront and we had won four dispensary licenses and they initially said, Hey, we're going to open these dispensaries in the next two months or a month, you know, go down there. And, and they, my first, my, I think my first title over there was like director of education and outreach. So it was, it was, it was my bread and butter. Cause that's what I'd been doing to kind of get us set up before, um, and I go over there and it takes like a year to get all these things open per usual, right? I mean, everything takes so much longer uh, than you think in cannabis. And so, but during that year, as we're building these, these four out, um, I'm continuing to grow in my knowledge for the plant, right? And so we're creating this library of educational resources that we can provide to people. I'm reading so much about the plant and we end up opening those. And I think I was in Baltimore for about a year and a half. And in that year and a half, we opened four dispensaries in, in, in the Baltimore area. We opened up one in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We acquired a license in Massachusetts, which is still with us today. We ended up opening three dispensaries and three grows there. We acquired one in Arizona. We acquired one in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. I We, have, we still had Legacy. Um, we did like... Um, what do they call it? It was advisory services for, for folks. So I opened up, a, we were the third dispensary to open up in Arkansas, which was, that's a whole story in and of itself. We interviewed an entire town, just <laughs> me and someone else for 12 straight hours because we couldn't say no, right? Everyone wants a piece of this. They want to be able to be a part of it. And we could not say no. So we literally interviewed every, every single person <laughs> in uh, Clinton, Arkansas, uh, down to the, the head of zoning. Uh, we're like, dude, you need to be approving our zoning. You can't, be, you can't buy it. Um, but you know, fast forward that year and a half, we had opened up, uh, I think at that time it was about 10 dispensaries. Now it's four, I, I've opened up 14 dispensaries in seven different States and, and, and couch cultivations in, in, in three of those States. And, uh, it was a crash course in what to do, what not to do. You know, I remember the first time opening up our, our dispensary in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which actually opened up before our Maryland dispensaries. And we're thinking, how many people are going to show up tomorrow? <laughs> we don't know. You know, how many people? Is it going to be 10? Is it going to be 100? Is it going to be 500? Um, and that, that store actually became really nice. It was like 100 people showed up that day. But you don't know, right? And you're, not, you're, you're teaching folks because the software is so... We're just... It's so nascent, right? You're using cannabis software. It's so new. You're trying to teach these folks. You're giving them a crash course for a week and you're... You're teaching them more about like cannabis history and cannabis science and the actual operations that they're going to need to be successful because you can't do any test runs on the on, on the stuff. So you just got to hope that it works and you're with working with them uh, ha- shoulder to shoulder trying to figure it out. Uh, and so, so yeah, it was uh, it was a year and a half. And then in 2020, we moved back to Illinois right when 
everything was becoming adult use legal because we knew that this was going to explode here. And we opened up the dispensary here, or we, we transitioned it to adult use. And we went from, you know, at that point, it was probably like 80 people a day to 400 and then 500 and then 600. And then I think now it's around 750 a day. But I mean, it in one day to the next, you saw an over a 10x increase and it was, it just blew, blew your mind. It's just, what is happening? You know, we got there at four in the morning to get ready for this dispensary because we were able to it get it open. It was New Year's Day. Go open so we six. spent New Year's Eve just like sitting up. He's practicing his speech <laughs> to go there. It's like the ball drops, whatever. Happy New Year. He's sitting there like reading his paper <laughs> and reading it out yeah. loud. We slept for like two hours and then we're up at four to go drive and do the grand opening. It's it's amazing. It's an amazing success story, but I, I think people need to understand that it's not an overnight success. There is a tremendous amount. And I always tell people like they're connecting this green rush kind of thing. There really is no such thing. It is a very slow, tedious process. And uh, you know, it's it's really nice to see, you know, a success story, but it's it's an, still an ongoing struggle because you have so many different oh, yeah. things. Yeah, he was that, just saying today, like, you really got to fight to be here. Like, you yeah. got to fight. You got to want it. Like, you've got to, you know, get up in the morning and show up at your full self, even when things seem like the light seems dull, you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah, are we going to be here? Is there going to be? Yeah, especially on those days. So mm-hmm. I yeah, have, having the right attitude, I think, is really important in this industry. Speaking of, you guys are married and you work together in a way. So yes. ex- how how is that dynamic? Uh, you know, do you bring some of the work home? Did this home become, is it all integrated together? Uh, how does the dynamic work? Complete integration. <laughs> and, and it started from the beginning. We work from home to start. So yeah. we work from home, we work together. But I think the ways that we work together and the ways that work is integrated into our personal life um, changes season to season because we have different roles season to season. The company is very agile. So we expand and contract with acquisitions, mergers, um, you know, reprioritization. So I think in our last season, I think we were maybe the furthest apart where I was working directly with operations, manufacturing, back of house, doing product development, managing product, uh, roadmaps, from seed to to sale, basically on that end, well, not really sale, then we would hand it off to you and then you would sale, but from seed to distribution. Um, And then he's always been front of house focused. So he's always been focused on retail, opening up, not to say that we don't treat retail as our client. He doesn't know, you know, everything that's going on. We do production planning together. Um, But I think in our roles, we didn't really work as much together in that last season. Um, But now, now that I'm, back in a marketing seat, back as director of product and trade marketing, meaning that I'm responsible. It's only missing retail in that very long title, but retail <laughs> yeah. is in number yeah. one responsibility when you get to the, the new job description, creating retail product and wholesale marketing strategy. He's also ha- He also has a new title, EVP of revenue, which just expands his reach beyond retail now to driving revenue through both channels, retail and wholesale. So now I think we're more integrated than ever before. So, well, congrats, it's a, it's congrats on that. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I want to go just as a more of a personal question. 
I get it from a business standpoint and it makes total sense. And, and you guys have different roles and, and you complement each other, but you know, you, you have a marriage uh, and then uh, you're, you're working together and you're constantly, is that a benefit to the marriage that you see, or is that something that you say, you know what, I need a little bit of breathing room because it's way too much, you know, forefront business that we constantly discuss can we just talk about, you know, watching a game together or, you know, going for, for a walk or some of that? I don't know how we do it, but we have managed <laughs> to do it and be successful at it. And it is all encompassing, but I think that because of our love for the plant, it we become force multipliers of whatever it is we're doing because we know what's happening on in the entirety of the business that allows us to be more effective for the business. That being said, of course, you want time, right? You want time away from the business. Uh, does that happen as much as if we were in like regular nine to fives? No way. But we could not, at least I could not see myself in that in any other way uh, other than doing it like this. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think? about? I think that we're I, I want to give us credit for being good at um, switching focus. Gabe is really great at planning trips. I'm really great at going on trips. We make sure that we take, you know, like two to three trips a year. One is always around my birthday. And that like, we're not working ever. When we're on our trips, we're like on our trips and we're outside, we're at the beach where it's an adventure. And I think it's our, our mutual love for adventure. But then we also have different interests too. Like I am very big on like, biking, running, working my body out once a day, hot yoga, you know, ice, cold water exposure. Uh, you know, I, there's just this part of my DNA that like needs to move really fast, you know, and like get, get a workout in. And he really likes like NFL football and <laughs> basketball, you know, being a, a, a GM, a fantasy football league sure, team. And, and so like, there's that balance, you know, where like he could, he can help me understand the importance of downtime and I help him understand the importance of like moving your body and getting outside. And there are those moments when we don't want to do it with each other. And I think because we're together all the time, either physically together in the same house, working under the same roof or together mentally, because like I want to run an idea by him or he wants to ask me a question, something like that about work. It is so much more of a relief to give each other that space. Like go to your game, go watch that thing. I'm going to, I need to go to yoga. So I, I think in the beginning us not being married and me not being fully in my position, full transparency, it was a little difficult because he had a lot more access, a lot more exposure, a lot more recognition, me being a woman, uh, you know, a Latina woman, like I had some concerns, you know, like, am I, not going to get the same level of recognition or the same mobility, the same opportunities because I'm tied to this man, you know, as his girlfriend, much less, like not even his wife. I mean, it even was to the point where I didn't want to change my last name. I changed my last name barely like yeah. a few months ago. We've been married for like over a year. But he's like, finally, like, when are you going to change your name? I'm like, what do you mean? Everyone knows we're married. So like, change it not legally. No, it like, was legally in, changed in the on, in my I'm company. Like, everyone email. knows that we're married. Why are you not I just, changing? It? I just there's a certain level of finality to that. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there's still that. You know, I want 
I don't know. You know, I, I, within the professional setting, like I want, I am my own person. I'm confident of that. And I want people that interact with me to be confident of that, you know, and there's first impressions. And when you see a Mendoza and you see another Mendoza, there are unconscious biases that have the potential to be formed. And I was trying to alleviate that for everyone with not changing the name, but yeah. I'm so behind it. No, it's, I mean, it's great. It's great. Uh, you know, first of all, I think my audience got some relationship advice as well as uh, just talking about business and cannabis. So I appreciate that. I think it totally makes sense that uh, you, there, there is a certain path and, and being able to be in agreement to navigate when things come up because things always come up uh, in business and, and take that you know step away from business for a second. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I, I'm divorced. I was my ex for 18 years, so I don't. I, I don't have any relationship advice. I can give you some advice of what not to do if you want in in your future. But I think we'll you guys are offline. Off. Yes, I will. <laughs> <take it. laughs> exactly. We're approaching our two year two year wedding anniversary. There you go. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I have a question uh, on your perception of what may happen with this whole Department of Health uh, making the recommendation to reschedule cannabis as Schedule 3. What are your thoughts on whether that's going to happen? And if it does, what do you feel would be the impact on the industry and specifically forefront or you know just the dispensary way to be able to you know get your medicine? I would love a schedule not a reschedule but living in this the reality that 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 i'm in first of all i think that it is odd and very intriguing as to that this even got leaked in the first place like someone had to leak this and so then i ask well why is this because that's not usual right it's not that their opinion doesn't get leaked it's i think that it could either be that the, the, you know, that the president wants some cover when, when the DEA says no. And he said, Hey, look, my guy said we should do this or that they want some pressure on the DEA. Because if you look at the history of uh, asking the DEA to reschedule, they can take years. They can, it almost took a, de- a decade one time for them to just say no. Right. So my hope is that this is at the speed at which this is going is really, is ex- incredibly fast. It's much faster than it's ever been done before. Um, and so that gives me a lot of encouragement that this is something that is wanted and they that they want to do this before the election season to kind of get some good press and and all that. That being said, this is a DEA, right? I mean, if you know anything about the history of cannabis, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics turned into the DEA and, and they, you know, the first drug on the from the war on drugs was was weed, it was cannabis. And so I want it to be. I mean, look, we need this, this industry really needs something. It needs a shot in the arm and, well, because capital markets are so tight. We need something. And you just saw that the stocks pop just at this letter, right? And, and so I, I really want that for the people that have worked so hard in this industry. I really want that for uh, us selfishly, right? Because it, you know, if, if you follow what other Schedule Three narcotics and drugs have have gone through in their their timeline, then they you know t- taxation becomes uh, the ease of taxation that you can actually write off all the things that you can't write yeah, off. Yeah, two eighty e disappears basically. 
it, in theory, right? And I want that to work because none of this is normal, right? The way that this is going about it is odd. And the fact that the DEA already said no in 2012, I, maybe they say yes now. I'm hopeful. I want that to be the case. Uh, I, we certainly, we certainly as an industry need it, but you're right. So 280 is like, is what, what happens if you, if you go from schedule one to schedule three, 280 taxation laws go away theoretically. Um, and you're able to study it more and you're able to, to kind of grow, get more into the, the weeds. What, what do you guys I have a question for you. So we talked earlier, we've been talking about this and would the DEA, in order to say yes, would cannabis need to meet the the five criteria. So like, would cannabis need to be reach a state of being like replicable? So in order for them to history, history lesson for the listeners, the DEA, in order to take, take something from a schedule one to a schedule five, there are five criteria and I won't name them frankly, because I don't know all of them, all of them, but there, there's a, there's a criteria that the, that you have to, to pass. Um, that five criteria was made in an effort to say no to cannabis back in the nineties. Uh, because an administrative judge for the for the DEA said, "Hey, you got to reschedule this. This doesn't make any sense." And the DEA said, uh, "No, we're not going to listen to that. And in fact, now we're going to have five check boxes that you need to check in order to go from one to three. One of them is that the that the the whatever the substance is needs to be uh, replicable completely. So they, you know, cannabis is a plant. So to do that is a little difficult. I think that." Um, this will have to have the political juice for that all to just to not have to be a factor. And um, I'm hopeful that, that that is. So yes, they in order for it to, they would have to check all those. Factors. I mean, they're replicating like fish now, right? Like they're just like- Yeah, but it's a plant. Like, it's so yeah, hard but to, here, here's the challenge. So you can, you can grow it and you can grow it from tissue culture sample, which will suffice that replicatable, uh, you know, um, a criteria. Yeah. However, you have a plan. So, if you th- th- one of the reasons you know Schedule Three is interesting to the government is because they're following the trajectory of ketamine, for instance, as, a, as an example. But what you have is you you write a prescription and you can administer ketamine with black box warnings in number of clinics. How are you going to do that with cannabis that is not a molecule? It's many different molecules. So this is the, you know, I've been talking to people and they're saying, well, I think they're going to remove 280. They're going to make sure there's a prescription, but the administration of it will be to the, for the states to decide how they're doing it now. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows what, what's going to be in the future, but it, it, it leaves a very open interpretation because if you're going to write a prescription, I don't know too many doctors that say, hey, you know what? Here's a prescription of cannabis. Uh, take two hits of this joint Alaskan thunderfuck and, uh, you know, call me in the morning and see how it goes. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, it's not going to happen that tinctures uh, now you, or, or sublingual delivery or soft gels or you can at least dose accurately. You know, there are those uh, vaporizers and stuff, even flower vaporizers, which you can dose. So maybe those d- devices would come more prevalent. Uh, Philip Morris bought uh, Sync, which is a, a dose uh, meter uh, device for vaping for $650 million. They may know something. I don't know. I don't think they throw out $650 million for no reason. So I'm looking at all these things. Maybe that is the future, but I really question 
rescheduling and still having our dispensary model, I don't understand right. how it can possibly work. So that's where I think there's going to be some yeah, friction. Gotta, it, there's got to be a lot of uh, cognitive dissonance, maybe. It's just, you got to, this makes sense, right? So I, I'm hopeful. I really am. And, and I think that there is a reason. It does seem, if you talk to folks who are really lobbying at the federal level, that this has been intentional, that there is that there is a process for this and that they want to. I don't, from what I'm hearing is, I don't think that they're, and, and maybe you're hearing other, otherwise, but like I don't think that it's going to be prescription-based. Um, I think that they're just going to leave it completely up to the states. But then it's like, well, it's still federally illegal because it's right. not following what the schedule three is. Right. And so there needs to be, there just really needs to be a come to Jesus moment where you're saying, Hey, this doesn't make any freaking sense. Let's just de-schedule this thing. Like tobacco and alcohol has been, it, it, it's uh God. I, and I don't have a crystal ball. Right. And, and anyone that does or, or says that they know, or that even that, that they know anything about, about what's going to happen in the future. They just, they're just hypothesizing yeah. on camera or wherever. Yeah, I agree with you. Nobody really knows. And, and descheduling, there's already, not to compare cannabis with alcohol and, and tobacco, specifically alcohol, but we, we have prohibition. We remove prohibition. We deschedule it. We allow the states to create their own systems. We created, uh, you know, federal regulations to maintain quality, safety standards which we don't have in cannabis. We have state standards, but they're different from state to state. They're all very uh, different. You know, so, uh, you know, that needs to happen at the very least to make sure their industry rises up one more level because there's no uniformity. I can't go into a vitamin store and get my same exact vitamin in, in LA as I would in, or a multiple multivitamin as I would in, in Pennsylvania. We don't have that in, in cannabis. That, whatever I'm calling or whatever, I, I know Maryland tried to do this thing where they wanted to do, go remove the, this, the names of the, of the chemical varieties and make them numbers, which in theory, Sort of made sense to me at first because I, I was I advised for a little bit uh, when they were trying to do the law. It made sense because if you can say the numbers uh, like you know one two three four five is basically a similar uh, strain or, or, or chemical variety that has a similar terpene profile, whatever you call it, and it fits this criteria and it has an effect that's associated with you know supporting sleep, more sedative. Okay, I think people can relate much better to these varietals instead of you know calling it blue blue dream what what the hell is blue dream well maybe it's having a, a good dream maybe that wasn't a, a good Bad example, example. <laughs> yeah so but you know, you know Z. there you go a yeah. sour dia i don't know old school uh, kind yeah. of uh strains but they don't mean anything and never did so at some point we we need to be able to you know get out of from uh the dark ages and, and, and make a shift um yeah. All right. So I have uh, questions for both of you that I ask all my guests and we'll sort of go back and forth. Uh, one can answer it and the other can answer it. It's a, the same question for both. Uh, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Who wants Next to go first? first experience. <laughs> so, well, my first experience with, I remember oh, this. Is, so it was eighth grade. Um, we were we were driving to basketball practice and this kid that was in my eighth grade class he had failed eighth grade like twice so he was like freaking 16 years old 
And he was rolling up a, he, they, he had taken us to his friend's house because he was going to take us to practice. And I remember there being like, and I didn't know what this was at the time, but there was like the tobacco guts, like just on this desk and like leaves everywhere. And uh, he rolls it up and then they're smoking in the car and they're like, do you want some? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> and, but I remember, I remember when we were done with practice, I was like, Hey, can you smell me? Can you smell me? And I was like, I thought that it was like this cool, very cool thing. So that was my first experience with cannabis. I remember the first time I got high and was just like, I, I was driving. So, you know, what, what, what have you there? But I remember pull, I had to pull the car over because I was like, I have reached like this additional level of consciousness. It was surreal i mean it was it was a beautiful thing and uh but yeah those were my first two one was not getting high and ex- experiencing it. the other was getting high and just parking like literally parking the car and be like guys i gotta tell you something i had reached yeah Story's yeah nice i like remembering the second one uh okay so i cannot remember the first time i used cannabis but um i can definitely remember the first time that i went out on my own to secure it and roll it up on my own without it just being around me. It was always around, you know, like my brothers would be smoking it or, you know, people that I was dating would be smoking it. And so I'm sure one of those people, either a big brother, a little brother or a boyfriend handed me a joint for the first time. But I very clearly remember the first time I went out on a limb with my best friend, Erica at the time. Hopefully she, no last names. (laughs) (laughs) And she, um, we ended up, she has a little brother that's the same age as my youngest brother, like six years younger than us. We ended up picking up weed off of her little brother. And um, so we bought like a little dime bag or something. And then we went to go buy blunts like we've seen our boyfriends do and, you know, our brothers yeah. do. So we went in and bought blunts. And so we're behind this alley and we're like, okay, now what do we do? Like we're fumbling and like, I'm trying to like, you know, lick the blunt and like rip it apart without, you know, I'm trying to do all the things that I've seen other people do, but I have no idea. And there's no like YouTube at the time, you know, this is like 2005 or something. Maybe there was YouTube. I don't know. I didn't have a smartphone. I had a sidekick. And, um, so I couldn't watch a video on it. So literally everything from memory. So I don't know how to roll it. We end up rolling it. It's like this little, like, there's like so much air in this like long little straw. (laughs) I don't think we even broke it up. Well, we light it, we smoke it. We go to the park, we swing on the swings. It's nighttime. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And it was like our first time just like, I think really think like, this is something that I could use to make myself feel better, you know, like to take the edge off. And that I will always remember that as like, yeah, I'm reaching for this. Like I, I, I want this. This is an improvement to my current mental condition, my physical condition. It's a, it was a relationship builder for us. We laughed our asses off. Remember we're just like laying there like two, like 17 year olds, you know, just laying in the park at night, high laughing at ourselves because we didn't know how to do it. And then we did it. It was great. I love that memory. So thank you for asking. (laughs) Super, super, uh, you know, fun (laughs) memories uh, to remember your your first experiences. Uh, Speaking of first experiences, I want to ask both of you, uh, I'm a big music uh, person, so there'll be a couple of music uh, questions coming up. Uh, Do you remember, and if so, what what is that, the very first concert that you attended? I do. I I was 16. I was even younger than my memory of 
trying cannabis on my own. <laughs> I was 16 years old, sophomore year. Kanye West was like just making his like breakthrough. It was that first album with like the violin song. You'll know what I'm talking about in a second. <laughs> and my older brothers at the time uh, picked me up from school. I think I left before school was even over so that we could drive down to McCormick Place and catch a free Kanye West concert. Wow. I wasn't even sure that I could fully grasp who Kanye West was, but I knew by the time we got there because we were listening to the album the entire way. And I was like, wow, this is going to be so dope. And yeah, we were smoking the entire way. And yes, I was smoking. So that may have been like one of my first times too. And then we get there and like all of like Chicago is out. It's an outdoor concert. He's got this like girl on stage with like fiery red hair just playing the shit out of a violin you know and she's like going crazy and he's like one and two and three and four and <laughs> i was just like this and i was high so it was even better you know i was like this is so powerful and chicago loved kanye west i mean chicago still arguably loves kanye west but at that breakthrough album moment for him to give us a free concert Wow. I was just like, and for my big brothers to pick me up, you know, and I was just like the coolest girl, the happiest girl ever. College is- dropout, I think, right? Yeah. Isn't that yeah. the album? Yeah. yeah. That's a kick ass. That first, is a great story. First one. Yeah. I awesome. think my parents were big into like Motown. So, so I think one of the first ones I ever went to was like an Earth, Wind, and Fire concert, which is pretty sweet. But I mean, not, not a. I don't think, did you understand how sweet it was at the time? Now we like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so so okay. Uh, another music question, and whoever wants to go first, uh, you know, you guys choose. You have to listen to five albums for the next year. You can only listen to these five, and I'll preface it as you don't have to remember the name of the album. It can be like you know the, a Kanye album or something like that. So, what will yep. be those five? And whoever wants to go first, do you want to collectively do five? Like go alternate. All right. <laughs> Collect the new five. All right. Well, it's like, alternate. 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 Somebody go first. Can you do it? I think you can do it faster than me. Give me a minute. Because uh, I could probably list three of yours. <laughs> well, Nas's Illmatic would be on there. Um, and then I would have to do, again, Earth, Wind, and Fire Greatest Hits. That's just like, it's just indie. Um, Maybe the Thriller album. I'd have to do a Kanye. Maybe two Kanyes. College Dropout would would be on there. Maybe that, between that and Graduation, like a hybrid. But I don't know if we could do that. Um, and then, what's one that I would really want for the rest of the year? Because it's got to be something that's going to get us going. <laughs> you know, and, and times are tough. But that's probably Kanye. And Nas is there. I'd probably do a Tribe Called Quest, a Tribe Called Quest album. Maybe their Greatest Hits album, if that's just that's fight cheating. But. Yeah, I'm going to cheat too a little. Are you done? I'm done. That's five. Okay. So that'll be a good year if I can listen to those five. It's funny. We uh, we were just in Yellowstone and we had zero service and we could only listen to the songs that were downloaded on our phone. So we were forced to listen to like the same 10 songs. You, you just so, already like, went through that experience. We kind of <laughs> yeah, just yeah. went through it. It was like five days of like the same 20 songs. <laughs> a lot of on the road time. Um, so one of mine uh, would definitely be like a Vicente Fernandez, like greatest hits, like some kind of like yeah. ballads in Espanol, mariachi music, definitely like mm. romance, covers a spectrum of emotions for me. 
macho feelings, emotional, romantic, you know, angst. Um, so that one for sure. My grandfather was mariachi. So I feel like this music is like, it's important to me. Um, and then the second album would be like the cure, you know, whichever album has like boys don't cry on it or like, um, just like Kevin, I don't know the name of that album, but I'm hoping those songs are all in the same. <laughs> um, definitely the cure. Um, I like the eighties, so I would take that from the eighties, although there's other things if I could remember them. And then, um, Erica Badu, you know, not more of her older stuff, like not that I can make you put your phone down. I don't mind it, but that one's okay. But like older stuff, you know, like, um, like, uh, green eyes or what songs like that. Um, and then, so Erica Badu, I mean, I fan out for a live Erica Badu. Like I'm screaming every song, like she gets me to fangirl. Not many people do. And then it would be, so that's three. Yeah. Um, I like the Jay-Z 444 album. I really feel like it's like timeless classic for me. So I would choose that one too. And then the fifth one, I don't think I had gotten to it yet. So like I could do old school hip hop, but that one's easy. Like it's like not. Nah. I don't know if I do that so often now. Um, Nirvana? I Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably <laughs> like a Nirvana album. He knows. Yeah, yeah, I'd go sick. Something a little more metal than Nirvana. Nirvana was like, a, like, I like their acoustic stuff more now, but I want something like a little harder. Like we listened to like Black Sabbath, Planet Caravan. That was one of the ones. <laughs> that was I just want something a little more edgier for like when I'm on the run, you know? That's yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If uh, there is a version of Planet Caravan that Pantera does as a remake, okay. I, uh, recommend uh giving that a listen pantera is cool. a very very heavy uh band um but they do a very melodic interesting version of planet caravan so awesome mm-hmm. love it uh okay so uh I'll, I'll go to nicole first what has cannabis meant in your life um so for me it has meant just like um, it really helped me like fit like in more ways than one understand the importance of like questioning everything like digging deeper mm-hmm. you know like I had never I, I didn't think I would be fully capable of understanding the narrative you know like the a narrative as deep and as like impactful as like the war on drugs you know but I, I was able to access that through cannabis um, so it's meant just like being able to stand my ground and hold this perspective, like with full facts, you know, that like a plant is restorative, a plant is like a healing tool, you know, is like a part of people's medicine toolbox and that it's just been used by political powers or powers that be to like demonize certain people of certain classes of certain races, you know, to help sustain um, certain industries. You know, when you really think about like what hemp was a threat to back then, you think about like how the economic systems at play helped make cannabis enemy number one, the enemy number one that it became back then. So like, I, I feel like cannabis is meant to me, like what my, one of my 
closest like mentors has always said to me, like question everything. I don't think I really have ever felt the confidence more so in doing that before taking this journey to legitimize my relationship with cannabis, my professional relationship with cannabis. And that is when I was like, yeah, questioning everything is going to get me to a place where I am fully legitimate in my position on cannabis and, and what I believe it can do for the planet. So that is a good, good, that's a really good way to think about it. It's so interesting, you know, cannabis, uh, as I sit in this house that cannabis paid for, right? Uh, and, and then I realized the, how messed up that is. Because uh, when I think about it, it's like freedom. But then when I think about the history of cannabis, it's just like the opposite of, of freedom and, and how many people it's, it's incarcerated. So for me, and I completely say this, understanding the history of cannabis, but but it is it's a, it has provided us a freedom to to explore, right? To be curious about it. Um, and, and it's been with me for so long, you know, I mean, relative to, to my life, it has been, been a part of me for so, so long. And then cannabis, when you truly understand the potential, which is so far beyond economics, it is what other thing can nine out of 10 Americans agree on it, especially from a medical perspective, right? Nothing. Like there's nothing that more people can agree upon that I know, even especially like no, no thing can bring people from so many different worldviews together. And I think that that's powerful. And I think that that's terrifying for a lot of people. Uh, but when I think of what cannabis means to me, I think it is the single greatest uh, product or, or medicine or plant. Um, and it has the ability to really, truly reshape the world. We're dancing on a knife's edge, right? Which way is cannabis going to go? How is it going to get there? But given enough time, I do think that its truth will play out, which is that this is a medicine that can bring people together from a health and wellness standpoint, from a social standpoint. Um, and that is so powerful. So it's freedom. It is, uh, world changing and how many things do you get to, you know, once I realized that I was like, well, why would I do anything else ever? Um, so yeah, that's what it means to me. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bonus question. And then I'll, I'll go to Gabe first and say, uh, he was talking, uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. So my, I lived in the same, my parents lived in the same house for, for me growing up. And uh, I, I was, I lived in the attic or like the upstairs floor and essentially it was like a desk to do homework scattered with all these trophies, like basketball trophies and football trophies and karate, uh, and taekwondo stuff. Um, and then there was, uh, like college football memorabilia and like Legos. I love Legos. I mean, just the, the ability to create like irrespective, like following the instructions, which I did too, but like create new things. That was really great. Um, there was a, there is a guitar, an electric guitar, which I never, I mean, I played it, but like that once you learned, to, I, I, I learned a few chords and then it was just like, this is hard. <laughs> There's no one teaching me. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was basically it. There was no TV in there or anything. No, like no, trophy no posters on the walls or anything. No. Posters. Oh yeah. There was, there was posters. There was, but it was like football posters. So it was like Notre Dame stuff. Um, it was, 
a basketball posters. I was big in the back in the day. This was like when I was young ish and like middle school ish Kobe Bryant Shaq, like the, the, the bulls had already had their heyday, but the Lakers were really massive. And I was just the biggest fan. I mean, I'd watch all the games that Robert Ory shot still gives me chills to this day. And so, I mean, it's just like, so yes, there were posters. There was a, uh, there were some sports posters for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. You're awesome. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, like to change my room around a ton. Um, and also my parents had a pretty big house. And so we would move to different floors depending on the season. So my room always looked a little different, but, uh, when I was younger, there was a lot of cat, cat things like Lion King sheets and like cat picture frames. I was a big cat person. And then as I came into my own, like middle school, high school, the cats went away and one of the things that never changes, like the amount of books that I've always had, books and magazines. I still, to this day, I mean, my parents still have boxes of my books at home and I have a full library upstairs. I'm just like, I'm the type of person that always like takes a book. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to read. I'm like, just in case there's stuff. <laughs> so always a ton of books. Um, the magazines, like in middle school, I started purchasing because I became really big, um, a really big like collager, like vision border at the start of the year. So when I think about what has always been on my walls, it's always like a different vision board for every year. A lot of them are very emo in high school and in college. <laughs> and then like post-college, I start being at like, I think I something, the yoga helped. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, I'm maybe manifesting these emo feelings. Like I need to, I need to manifest positive things on these vision boards. And so now they're like totally positive, you know, post like whatever yoga awakening. Um, but back in the day, it was like a bunch of emo vision boards, collages and stuff. Um, Gabe, Nicole, I want to thank you and for joining us before I let you go, where can people get a hold of you? If they want to find out more about forefront or, Anything else uh, you want to share, like the best way to for people to connect? So I think the best place to follow up on what Forefront is up to is definitely ForefrontVentures.com. Uh, we are more active on LinkedIn. You know, like I, I got to give full shout outs to like our PR crew. Um, we're getting more active on X for better or for worse. <laughs> I'm just glad I remembered to call it X. Uh, we don't have a presence on social media as the as a corporate team, but I do. Um, so like I'm mindful Nick on Instagram. You can follow all my adventures of being a mom and a cannabis professional and a yogi enthusiast um, on Instagram. And um, I also have a Twitter, but that's just me about ranting about cannabis, nothing meaningful. It's always just ranting, <laughs> critiquing what other people are writing about cannabis on the oh, X. About, yeah. yeah. So it's like, I'm, I'm no trendsetter there. I would, I mean, look, if you guys are in any of the states that we operate in, I would highly recommend you come to the stores, right? I mean, the, the way that we educate is, you know, akin to what we illustrated here today, right? I mean, our people are really well knowledgeable about the plant. They understand that this isn't like, hey, what you want the highest THC type of talk. Uh, so if you guys are in Chicago or in Massachusetts or in Michigan, please do come to the stores. The missiondispensaries.com website is a great way to look at all the products. And we have really thoughtful product descriptions on there that we take time to, to really understand the plant and, and provide those. So I would, I would recommend just coming, right? Coming to the stores. And um, 
And then, yeah, I think all the other socials. I don't really use social media. You can see well. him at Benzinga in two weeks. So we speaking on. I'll be there. Later. I'll be there. I'm yeah. speaking at Benzinga. All right. Let's go, Len. I'll, let's let's. We're gonna check out, out the schedule. Sure. Let's talk about listening to some music. Yep. Got it, man. Let's do it. Awesome. Very cool. Great. Thank you guys so much for joining me, and we'll see you soon. Take care. Thanks. Len. Thank you, Len. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.